Here's sci-fi melody. So Scott, uh, I'm a little scared. I don't know about you, but I'm nervous about seeing what rage turns into today. Yeah, I'm kind of getting sick of these Lovecraftian transformations of his. I mean, I know it's horror month, but these are going way too far. I can't believe he convinced us to join that Dagon cult. Good thing we got out. I'm totally blaming Ruck on that one. Yeah, but his new EP, Paradise, it's just so intoxicating and entrancing. I mean, it is addicting. Right? I just can't wait to hear the whole thing. I know. When does it come out again? Go hit the pre-save link in my Instagram bio at Rockstar Official if you dare. Hey guys, how are you? Oh man, am I breaking up a reverie or are you just on drugs or something? Nah, we were just thinking about Ruck's new EP. Oh man, I can't wait for that. When does that thing come out, and how can I get it? I said the 11th, you fool! 11th? November 11th! Click the link in my Instagram bio! <laughs> Do it now, you fools! <laughs> right. Uh, we were also talking about all these strange transformations you've been having and wondering what today was going to be. Yeah, judging by the bulging eyes, I'm not happy. You guys mean strange. You guys are the freaks. Okay. Did the, that cult give you drugs too? Yeah, really. Since when are we freaks? Uh, since now? I mean, seriously, have you guys been paying attention? Look out the window. Turn on the TV. Google the news for crying out loud. What has been happening? I've been asleep for like two hours. What happened? When did this happen? When did everyone get so... Hellish? Mutated as if by the old ones? Yeah, that. When did that happen? Well, you guys ever hear of Sutter Kane? Sci-Fi Melody, Symptom 264, In the Mouth of Madness. Do you read Sutter Kane? Welcome back, sickies, to the final episode of Horror Month. And wow, you know, every Halloween, every October just goes by so fast. It's, for me anyhow, depressing, considering this is my favorite month of the year, but uh, okay, Sarah, Sarah, I suppose. Wonder why it's your favorite month. You get to it, review so many. It, look, okay, look, 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 look. I am sorry there were boobs this month, okay? And I know normally that's not the case, except for the first month we did, which I didn't pick them all, by the way. Scott helped. <laughs> but uh, the first month, not this one. But look, it's just the nature of horror. We talked about it last week. But this one, you got to admit, was pretty light on the boobs, right? There were none. Exactly. So I still got to make fun of you, though, for it. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, I was, uh, you know, if I didn't know what this movie was because I, I had seen it before, I would have been very worried about where we were going considering the last three films with the title being In the Mouth of Madness. <laughs> oh, you had seen this before, <laughs> Yes. You, oh, cool. So then this was not a, a uh, surprise for you. No. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, first time you I, watched it? It was the first time, and I absolutely adored it. And I feel kind of stupid because I am an absolute John Carpenter fan. Um, I am ridiculously biased. And the film starts off at a minimum of five points just because it's John Carpenter. 
So sickies, if you're looking for some kind of, well, I mean, can we really be objective? No. But if you're looking for a less partial view of this, you're not going to get it from me. Because if John Carpenter made it, odds are I love it. So John Carpenter then is like the, the anti J.J. Abrams or Michael Bay for you. Precisely. Where like if a Precisely. movie is made by, John, by Michael Bay or J.J. Abrams, the max it can get is a four right off the bat. Um, well, actually, uh, Michael Bay one-ups J.J. because there's at least I can think of one film of his that I did enjoy. I did like The Rock. As horrible as it was, I did enjoy it. All right. Whereas anything by J.J., no, I hate it. I, I've never watched a J.J. film that I ever liked. Um, but Michael Bay has a shot. It's a minimal shot, I'll grant you. It's a, it's a cookie sheet, baking sheet thin chance, but it's there. Okay. So deep into the mind and, of the rage master. Exactly. So, and I, cause I can't say I hate everything. Michael Bay. When, if you put the rock on, I'd be like the movie, the rock. I'd think, yeah, I could watch this. Well, I would say so, that if it was the actor, the rock, you definitely should be watching it. Considering that he's probably in most of the good movies that are being made these days. This is about the man, is, but he's very talented. He, he is so but at any rate let's get back to the movie itself today so this film is about an insurance it's it's about an insurance um investigator whose whole job is to find uh, his, his name is john trent played by sam neill his job is to find phony insurance cases uh claims and he is hired by a guy named Robinson, who's part of an insurance company. And Sam, uh, John Trent is a freelancer, and he hires him to go look for work uh, for a book company called Arcane. Arcane is the publisher of a horror writer named uh, Sutter Kane. And Sutter Kane's most recent book, In the Mouth of Madness, has gone is due and the author has gone missing not only that the manuscript has gone with him and the publishing company has a policy on the manuscript so they want their manuscript so john trent's job is to go find it and john being a cynical man automatically assumes fraud because that's just what he does so he's hired by the chief editor of Arkham, John Hargrove, played by Charlton Heston, Jackson Hargrove, excuse me, played by Charlton Heston to go look for it. And he's sent by with a woman named Linda Stiles, the chief editor of all the books. And so first he buys all these books and reads them and they start having a weird effect. In fact, when he gets the job from Robinson, who's they're sitting in a cafe talking about it, some guy with an axe who turns out to be the the agent of Sutter Kane tries to kill him. So, um, and they, they notice that people who read Sutter Kane, some people become very unhinged. So, he goes looking for, after finding out that there is a kind of like a code in the covers as to where Sutter Kane might be, he learns that he's probably hiding out in a place called Hobbs End, a, a location in his books in, Ver in New Hampshire. So, he gets in his car and he and, he and Linda Stiles are drive around New Hampshire looking for this place and after some very trippy sequences, find it. Thus begins a very trippy message uh, voyage where John Trent doubts the whole thing, but begins playing out sequences from not only the old books, but the new books. And eventually he meets Sutter Kane, who tells him, well, all of this is happening because I will it. Because the old ones have given me the power to will creation so that I can release them. 
And your job, Mr. Trent, is to take the manuscript back to the publisher. So John Trent realizes that people are going nuts and killing each other and get, becoming mutated. And he tries to stop this. But unfortunately, by the time he becomes aware of where he is and he's in New York City, he learns that the book's been out for months. And there's even a movie coming out. And he starts losing his mind. He's taken to a mental asylum where, honestly, uh, the world starts to go to crap because of this book. And everybody starts killing each other, and he's protected being inside the asylum, but he manages to break out or walk out of the asylum. And he goes to see the movie that the book is based on and winds up watching his own life ever since he got the job to look for Sutter Kane. And he laughs maniacally at it, begins to cry, and there's the end of the movie. A lot of good stuff going on in this movie. But let me get through the fun facts, because I think today is going to be a very rich discussion. Um, and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, one fun fact that jumped out at me right away was Vil Wilhelm von Homburg, who plays a father in Hobbs End, who winds up killing himself because he's been written to do that. He also plays Vigo the Carpathian in Ghostbusters 2. I knew I recognized him. And Star Wars Connection, the paper boy, after John Trent gets the manuscript, he wakes up on a highway on a road looking for the highway and a paper boy rides by and says hey mister hey mister that turns out to be hayden christensen oh yeah okay. because this film was made in ontario at various locations and hayden christensen is canadian from ontario so this was his first actual film So there's your Star Wars connection. And just to be... And Francis Bay, who plays Mrs. Pickman, the hotel owner, was Billy Madison... Or, I'm sorry, Happy Gilmore's mom. Grandma. 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 And Grandma. Scott, Grandma. <laughs> just for, just for um, completion's sake, was anybody in this movie from Star Trek? If there was, I didn't catch it. Okay, that's fine. Um, Jürgen Prochnow, who plays Sutter Kane, was the sub-commander in Das Boot. I mean, I don't... Does, does that count as a Nazi connection? <laughs> um, maybe. <laughs> anyway, let's just get to the fun facts. But, um... So, Hob is actually an old word used to refer to the devil. Uh, in a scene where uh, Julie, where uh, Styles tries to swallow the car key so S John Trent can't escape, it turns out the keys are made of pasta. <laughs> um, that was interesting. Okay. Uh, Sutter Kane, most of his works that he quotes are actually taken from H.P. Lovecraft short stories, uh, such as The Rats in the Walls, The illimitable gulf of the unknown was from the rats in the walls um if there's a few lines from the haunter of the dark so this line with the seat of an evil older man older than mankind and wider than the known universe so a lot of lovecraftian borrowing from there <clears throat> the building used as a mental institution is actually a water filtration plant in toronto but you can no longer go visit it because they shut it down to the public after after September 11th, after 9-11, for obvious reasons. Um, <clears throat> the robot monster that's, that John Trent is watching at a hotel, it's a gorilla suit with a space helmet, is taken from the movie Robot Monster, one of John Carpenter's favorites. He always inserts a favorite movie as a kid into one of his movies. Or a movie he directed. If you watch, um, for example, Halloween, the first film, the 1950s, The Thing is in it. You know, there's always a, a favorite that John Carpenter had as a kid in one of his movies. Um, the effective style spinning her head around 
which was one of the creepiest scenes in the movie, uh, was done by a contortionist stunt double wearing an upside-down prosthetic mask on Carmen's face, on the actress's face. So, um, yeah. At the end, when there's a wall of monsters heading towards John Trent, uh, that was like 30 different people running it. And speaking of monsters, the one where uh, it was the old hotel owner as a some weird tentacly monster, that was a miniature because the original one with a man and a prosthetic, John Carpenter, felt looked too fake. Um, Sutter Kane is a reference to Stephen King, obviously, given that it's set in New England with Hobbs End taking the place of Castle Rock. And Stephen King even directly getting referenced and being said, well, this guy's got nothing on Sutter Kane, you know. Um, let's see. And eh, what else do I want to... Any other little... Mm, Sam Neill... Part three, of apoc- the part three of John Carpenter's Apocalypse. Right. Movie. With the thing, yeah. yeah. Prince of Darkness. <clears throat> yep, so Prince of Darkness. We're going to have to review that one day. Eh, future time. Um, I think that's pretty good. There's a lot more we could do, but I don't really see the point. Oh, one more thing. The rubber ball that bounces against Styles' leg when she sees all the children running looks exactly like the beach ball alien from Carpenter's Dark Star, a film we did cover. So. Check that out. That's enough fun facts for now. Let's take a quick time to go through some rips and picks before we get into the deep dive questions that I think are really going to provide the best part of this episode. So, rips and picks. I'll let you guys go first. Usually I'm the one that won't shut up. So, what do you guys got? Well, I really like... um, I have to throw out a, a pick to start things off here immediately to Sam Neill's acting. He's yeah. in so oh, wait, many wait, 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 wait. Go I'm ahead. sorry, there's one, one more thing uh, before I forget the fun fact. You know, no, I'll roll it into mine. Go on. Sam Neill's acting. Sam Neill's Couldn't acting agree more, is but you phenomenal. Do it. And it's not just in, in this film, it's in everything the man is in. It's hard-pressed to find a time when he isn't um, just throwing in a dominant professional amazing tour de force of a performance and it's in whatever role you ask him to have and the thing is he's so good i think he should be more widely known he's that guy he's oh i know who that guy is he's in all these different things but no one knows who he is and it's a shame dr grant yes he is dr grant he's in uh he's in um event horizon he's in many Mm -hmm. things but he's just that guy that you know is in something and no one knows his name or they'll know that he's dr grant and he should just get more credit because he is a phenomenal actor and you you probably be hard pressed to find him in a movie where his acting is subpar usually he's gonna bring a movie up because he's in it and he does it again here Definitely. In fact, I would say the acting in general was on a... You had some really accomplished actors here. I mean, between him, um, um, uh, Lutko, who is Sutter Kane, Charlton Heston, there wasn't a bad performance in this whole film. No, even Even Hepburn's grandma, Frances Bay, is just typecast as everybody's grandma. Yeah. Those are even the plays it well. Even the weird part where she's stomping on her husband who's naked handcuffed to her ankle, you know? Uh, no, definitely. Now we know what happened to Happy Gilmore's grandpa after he built that house with his bare hands. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which begs the question, how come she couldn't fight off um, Ben Stiller's character at the home, you know? How come she couldn't team up with the Mr. Mr. Got lady? Uh, we never do know what happened to Ben Stiller's character at the end, do we? He was chucked out a window, and that was the end. That's all we know. <laughs> Happy threw him out a window, and that no, was all we know. The air conditioner out the window. 
Oh, isn't there a deleted? There is a deleted scene where he comes back and and gets that guy. I heard you've been messing with my. Girl. Uh, you know, we're gonna have to watch. Yeah, yeah. There is a deleted scene, but there was something in the regular film I forget. No, the air conditioning was when he dropped it on the Mr. Mr. Lady. Yes, now we're just reviewing it. And he's like, I gotta go. I think I killed the Mr. Mr. You Lady. You know that Mr. Mr. Lady? I think I killed her. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, classic. Anyway, um, yeah, the acting is bang up all-star. And let me do this. This was a part of the fun facts, but I could tie it in. Um, John Carpenter always does his own soundtracks. And I love them all. And speaking of soundtrack, if you're listening to the intro, when it shows all the novels getting printed, you might be tempted to say, huh, sounds like a song I know. And if you happen to be a Metallica fan, you're immediately thinking that is Enter Sandman. As a matter of fact, it is. You see, John Carpenter wanted to use Enter Sandman to start that off but he couldn't get the rights. So instead he just made a song that sounded close enough like it. And since he makes his own soundtracks, which I mean, he's amazing. I just think of the Halloween song theme song, which has become indicative of the holiday itself. He nailed this one too. I th- It'll be lesser known because it's a copy, but still good. I think this <clears throat> is a sci-fi melody first. We're um, giving a pick for plagiarism. <laughs> um, you know, you know, no, it's not plagiarism. It's transformative, as the copyright attorneys would say, as Leonard French would say. As long as you acknowledge the irony there. Yeah, I know. I okay. know. Uh, I, I got a rip. I'll alternate here. Oh, okay. It just. The opening scene just made me feel all, uh, without sounding too woke, it was just uncomfortable. Because he immediately, like, he's talking to Styles, and he pulls that old move where the man cuts the woman off, puts his arm on the wall (coughs) to kind of, like, close her away, and then leans in to get closer to her. Oh, yeah. Pick up lines. Maybe we should meet for dinner. Right. And then it's even worse when you, when you close the distance, corner and cut <clears throat> off an avenue of retreat. The fact that he let her walk away when she forced herself away, fine. But there's a, that's, I want to say it's passive aggressive, but it's aggressive aggressive uh, in, in a way. And at the verge of, you know, being well, oversensitive, <sighs> I'm glad that we've kind of called out in society today that that kind of action is... It's intimidation, and it shouldn't be done. And it's not, if you're thinking about closing off a woman's avenue of retreat with your, with your arm so she only has one way to go to, to hit on her, just don't. It's bad. Yeah, I mean, that was something that, now, perhaps John Carpenter was trying to be, show him as a creep. That's possible. I don't think so, though. I think that um, was just. But a we also thing know that, that that was acceptable. I was going to say, you know, at at the risk of, I, I would agree with you, Scott. At the risk of sounding too weird, we do know that such things happened, and so seeing it now play out is kind of like it still geez, happens but you uh, never put it in a film today unless you were making oh no character oh, no 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 and if you do you know it still happens but you gotta i would say not with the frequency that it did yeah I, it still happens um, it's not like it's gone i'm not gonna right, even but, it doesn't but is that, you don't put it in hollywood these days but i would say that's not a rip for me because um it's a rip kind of retroactively. It's, it's the looking backwards in history. It's the historian's fallacy, or as I've heard others call it, presentism. Yeah. Yes, it was bad. I'm not going to deny that. But um, it's not the intention of the author to take advantage of a woman. I'm not going to ding the movie so, points for it. I'll just say watching it, it's, it's an area where... It looks where creepy and modern it feels dirty. I just didn't like it. I agree with you. It did feel dirty when I watched it. I'm not going to say it you, cancel, you don't wasn't. cancel the film because of it and say we can't let people no, see this. No, it didn't, it didn't take points from it. It just did make me feel like, ugh, this guy's a jerk. It's a teaching moment. You, you look at your children <clears> and you say, if you're, if you're raising a son, you just say, hey, 
That's in the Anderholm. That's home. not acceptable. You just yeah, don't do that, son, ever. No yeah. longer acceptable. I mean, it wasn't back then either, but, you know, it, it definitely is. Don't, yeah, don't do that. I, I get your point bringing that up just to say, ugh, didn't like it. I think also, um, I'll, I'll give one and then I'll let Thomas speak because we can crowd him out. I think well, actually, um, you, you've hit most of what I had, so. Okay. I would say that I like the effects with the makeup and all, and I really love the pulp horror look of the books. And, um, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's so prophetic how some movies could be that, that the more unhinged people who read his works, it just, and this is nothing new, okay? You had the guy that read Catcher in the Rye and thought that all of a sudden there was a hidden message in there to go kill John Lennon. Um, and you're always going to get someone that sees a code or do something. I think that's a little more prevalent now. And of course, I'm not saying John Carpenter knew that wasn't going to happen, but um, I think that's more evident today because whereas in 1994 you were kind of alone you know if you read a Sutter Kane novel and thought that it was telling you to go axe murder anybody who you know is stopping the old ones from coming you know you were alone it was you well now you have this thing called the internet where you can congregate and infect other people with your thinking um so it's almost prophetic to show kind of like the idea virus that this book would create. Um, that's an interesting pick for me. And, but also how John Trent is ex just sitting there the whole time trying to say, this is BS. This is not real. This is, these people are just crazy because this book is not real. None of these places are real. And, Incidentally, you know, if, if you guys are done, I could go right into the big questions. I here. actually have a couple more picks and a, and a rip or two, and I think I know where your big question is, so I'm going to save a rip that I had on that big question. I'm just going to guess I'm going the right way. But um, Okay, that's fine. A pick. <clears throat> I love the, the minimalism in certain aspects of this. Um, you show up to um, Hobbs End. And they show you a town that is deserted. But you know it's not deserted. It's just quiet. Everyone's there, but no one's out and about. And it adds to the weirdness because, as he says, this is a picture-perfect town. And where is everybody? And no one is to be found. Um, but they're all there. But that's great because the movie shows you that the town is maintained. People are taking care of the landscaping. People are taking care of the buildings. Nothing is dilapidated. You get this idea well before they come out and say, this town's in perfectly maintained condition. Where is everybody? Makes it even creepier. Um, I love the fact that they show you with the yellow lines on the highway dimming. And they, you know, all you see is the headlights and they give you that perspective. And then they show the bicyclists coming out of nowhere, the clicking noises with the cards in the, in the bike. Um, that whole travel scene where things are getting a little weird. Um, it's minimalist, but it does what it's supposed to. And it's, there's an artistic point to it to watch people lose their minds. And it's, you know, mm -hmm. it's, and without coming out and hitting you over the head with it and telling you over and over again that they're going insane. Um, it lets really the ambiance and the atmosphere tell the, tell the story that you want it to tell. I do have a rip, and it's a really, really nitpicky rip. Only Has in, never stopped us in the past. Nope. Only in Hollywood does an insurance investigator come home from a day of work after going to the bookstore to buy all the, the um, Sutter Kane books and proceed to read them at home still in his jacket still in his shirt, and still in his tie. <laughs> uh, no one goes home and still wears their suit and their tie. Not anymore. Well, Not even in the 90s. 1950s man I, would have done that. But you know what, man? I, 
This is more it information than anybody you wants are, to know. But... This is more information than anybody wants to know. But if I'm home in my house and no one, no one else is in the house, I'm not wearing anything except some underwear. <laughs> Um, I guess that's different because I've come home in a suit and just sat down and vegged out for a while. Yeah, but are you so still that in, like does... hours later. If I fall asleep, okay. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that's implausible. Like I would, uh, I would tend to say probably because I most most let's just say most. Not everyone, there's exceptions, but most people mm-hmm. do not like to wear their work clothes all the time because but it's, a it's your work clothes. Yeah, It's a suit, though. It's not like when I worked well, at the machine shop, I never, I came home, I showered. The end. Yes, but um, my, my point is, it's a work thing. If you wear it to work, you take it off once you get home because you're not at work. It's a psychological thing. Hmm. I guess if you're used to wearing a suit all the time, it doesn't bug you, but yeah, like you said, it's a nitpicky thing. Yep. Yep. I'll although it is, although it, it is one of those things too of like, well, way to miss reality there, Hollywood, but what else is new? Yep. I said it, it was um, a nitpicky one, you know, but yeah. All right. <clears throat> well, with that in mind, I'm going to kind of keep going where I was at that, um, how we come to find out that, you know, John Trent is trying to be, this is all BS. This is all BS. There's reality. There's reality. And the film is basically trying to say, so certain are you now? Typically I hate this kind of storytelling. I will admit, but given the nature of it, I am okay with it because also it gives a, a bit more of a definitive ending, but let's start with the first question. While Trent and Styles are driving around looking for Hobbs End, um, or even before that, maybe, yeah, when they're still in Arkham's office, Arcane's office, uh, she makes the comment, reality is what we say it is. Sane and the Sane could switch places. Um, agree or disagree? And the example would be if the insane would be a majority, then we the sane would be the insane. Oh, agree or disagree? Um, I would. Right now, in a way, you're just asking if there's such a thing as mass psychosis. Um, I I, I don't know. I'm just saying if somehow the tables were turned, is well, that? I, I'm saying. Is, I guess you could. I guess that would require a mass psychosis, I suppose, or something along those lines. Because we've had cults of personality in certain countries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, North Korea is a great example. Yes, um, where you could say there's been a mass psychosis of the people to believe something that is totally not real. Mm-hmm. So it's not impossible. Now the question is, what are you asking them to believe? Because, I mean, let's be honest, there's a large group of people who are completely delusional and think the world is flat. So, Believing something that's not possible and is completely crazy happens all the time by way too many people. Mm -hmm. But if they became the majority, would insanity change its definition? I'm. It 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 depends on the society. I say. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because if a society has rules, laws, a dictionary, it doesn't matter quite so much to a point. Once you get like 90%, once you get a certain percentage and over 50, yeah, things change. It will. It's just how it is. 
the question is at what percentage and what safeguards does the society we're talking about have? Because mm-hmm. if your society is just based on pure majority, who cares what anything is? As soon as you get 51%, who cares? Or if it's a cult of personality, as long as the leader says it, it is true. That, that's, that's true. That's true. In a cult, generally you have the leader that calls the shots, and that's what it is. Yeah. Regardless. So, so this is why I say it's possible, but it depends very much on the society we are discussing. Okay. In my opinion. Okay. Then that's what we're asking here. Uh, Scott, what do you say if if uh, the insane became the majority, would the term insanity change? Depends would on your definition suddenly- of insanity. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna tip my hand here and say yes. Um, if your definition of insanity is of sound mind, not matter, mentally ill, then sanity and what sound mind is is dependent upon what the overwhelming majority of society um, defines that as. And so you know, if you got to a point where eighty to ninety percent of society thought that it was sane to attack random strangers on the street and eat their face and you didn't want to do that for your daily sustenance and wanted to grow wheat and turn it into bread but no one else wanted to you would be the insane person not just snacking on people's faces and practicing cannibalism um if you define sane by of an undertaking or manner that is reasonable sensible um and and uh grounded in reason logic and good decision making then it doesn't matter what 90 percent of the world thinks so it depends on what your definition of sanity is but i do believe that sanity morality law custom tend to be products of the majority opinion of society in any given time in any given moment in time and space and what is considered sane, moral, correct, acceptable behavior changes dependent on where you are location-wise and where you are in time. So, to the second question, could the sane become the insane and the insane the sane? Yes. In most cases, in the, if, if the sane became insane, though, society would degenerate very quickly and you would no longer have a society. Uh, Which is what happens in the film. Exactly. So, but at that point, the sane person would be insane and the insane would be by the definition of, you know, I mean, you you could take that one down further. Could a, could a society of face-eating cannibals really exercise good enough judgment to impose a collective value and a definition of what sane is? So then, you know, you probably get back to... You probably still get back to no. If you go with the second definition, which is probably the better definition of sane, able to make a decision exercised in, in reason, logic, and good judgment, um, and after applying, you know, reasoning to it, um, probably can't. But I'm going to stick with the answer of yes. Societally, we've seen what can be considered to be mainstream behavior become non-mainstream behavior and vice versa. So that is, that is fluid. To the first statement, which I wrote down in my notes with a bull bleep, um, reality is not what society tells you it is. Reality is measurable, it is quantifiable, it is testable, and it is repeatable. Reality cares not what you think. Gravity does not care. It's not like Tinkerbell. Gravity doesn't exist because everyone thinks it does. If one person truly thought that gravity didn't exist, that could not make gravity cease to exist. No matter how much you believe that gravity is a social construct imposed on you by the elite, if you jump off the top of a building, you're going to fall to your death. It's that simple. Kyrie Irving, no matter how much you believe that you've done your research and that the Earth is flat and NASA is lying and it's an it's a, um, Illuminati conspiracy to keep us under their thumb, the fact of the matter is that the earth is round. Um, this is reality. Two plus two is four. No matter how much you want to believe two plus two is five, it isn't. And this is part of the problem we're having in today's world where we raised a bunch of kids 
to say there is no wrong answer and um your opinion is valid and we've forgotten what an opinion is red is a nice color is an opinion um gravity exists is not an opinion um so the first one is absolute nonsense the nature of reality is defined it's measurable it's testable it has nothing to do with our perceptions of it or with our societal beliefs of what reality is it's just that simple i can't live without air no matter how much i believe that i can live without oxygen i can't no matter how much i believe that i can live without food eventually i will die if i don't eat this is reality it's hard and fast and we would do well as a society to remember that reality exists um i can come up with a lot of things about that but i won't at this moment because that would delve into political malady or to societal malady but it is in my mind probably one of the biggest threats we face to an underpinning of society is that we've stopped believing in an objective testable quantifiable reality and we made everything fluid and everything is about how you feel about it two plus two doesn't care how you feel about it it's just four well that's i mean that's a common theme in a lot of sci-fi things we've gone over be it 1984 or otherwise that people have you know the idea of if all i have to do is warp what everybody thinks is real then i can manipulate them Oh, you so, can manipulate them. You can, you can absolutely manipulate You haven't changed them. the nature of reality, but you've manipulated them. And right. that's, I can that's just been a theme that pops up. I think that there's a, a, some very recent world leaders who might not be world leaders who probably could convince certain people that, um, I don't know, drinking bleach might protect you from a certain pandemic and actually had people call the poison control center to ask if drinking bleach could help them and if it was safe enough and in low doses. You know, you had people um, drinking their fish tank cleaner because it contained hydroxychloroquine. It did not change the nature of reality that drinking the bleach would do nothing to protect you from COVID and is probably more likely to kill you than the virus ever would have been. It doesn't change the nature of reality. You can warp reality and manipulate people so, so into the, believing the, the, anything, but it doesn't change it. The wall <clears throat> is still there. If I convince you it's not there and you can just walk through it, you're going to walk into the wall and have a headache. So, so maybe, and, and like the movie says too, if you hear that when, when John is walking around the street and he goes to the movie theater and you hear the radio saying, for those of us who still hear and understand, stay indoors. Um, and it's very much a case of you may be able to change the definition of sane and insane, but reality is a constant. Which goes to the next question, really. Um, you know, in the end of the film, especially when Trent is in the movie theater, are we watching basically his mind snap as a result of encountering the old ones? Or is he just a cog in Kane's fictional universe? Um, we know Styles was a fiction controlled by Kane to get his manuscript out. And Kane even makes the no or Sutter makes the yeah, Kane makes the notion that this whole time I thought I was writing, but it turns out I wasn't. They were speaking through me. So is this the old ones contorting reality? And Trent is just a cog in that machine? Or is he just going nuts along with everyone else reading this book? Or has what do you guys think? I'll present a third or, option. Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go shoot for it. He's been nuts since the beginning. That's what I'm saying. Is he nuts? None of this ever happened. He didn't encounter the old ones. None of this ever happened. They brought him in. He'd gone psychotic. He had been an insurance investigator. He snapped on this Sutter Kane thing. And um, the closest thing to the truth is what we saw when he was talking to the president of Arcane when he says, you brought the manuscript back, I published it, it's been out, the movie's coming out, and Styles never existed. And he's just gone more into his delirium, and at the end, yes, we're watching his mind snap. And the, the battle within his own head. Um, that's what I, that's, that's the alternate interpretation, if you don't want to believe what the movie's telling you. 
which is okay. that we take this all at face value. I kind of like that one, that he's just been insane the whole time. We're listening to his story to the psychiatrist. Um, and so what we've seen is a madman trying to tell you why he's, in, why he's not insane. Okay. So, okay, so then, in other words, what about everyone else? What about society? None of that's actually happening. It's only happening in his head. Oh, it's only in his head, okay. None of it's actually happening. No one attacked him with an axe. Um, maybe he did attack someone who read the book with an axe, and that's why he's in the mental home uh, when they get there. But I'm saying none of the other stuff has happened. The radio voice saying, those who hear and understand, don't come out. He never went to um, Hobbs, and all of that only happened in his head. I thought that okay. was what was happening also. Okay. Uh, I tend, you know, yeah, that's probably what's happening. That he's just losing his mind. However, I also enjoy the possibility that um, the old ones had gotten a hold of Sutter Kane and were using him to screw everyone up and bend reality. And that he was just a cog, and at the end of the movie, he was just basically suffering through it like every other insane person who because of course there's the people the sane people that never read Sutter Kane like um, Hargrove the Charlton Heston's character where when Trent asked him do you read Sutter Kane he's like me no I never had the stomach for it and he never seems to be affected by it because he never read it um, that's also an intriguing possibility um, more likely than not, and, and, and I've not seen anything, yay or nay, which side the direct carpenter or the writer was going. More than likely, it's him losing his mind. I'm going to, I'm within the, within the grounds of the movie, I'll say, I don't know which, if it's the old ones making him lose his mind or if it's always been in his mind, but I feel like I'm 99% certain that he's still in his padded room cell because mm -hmm. who unlocked the door? Someone nice right. before they went completely insane just unlocked all of their doors one by one. Right. That's Someone why it doesn't make sense. Door. Yeah, I think this is all in a and, mindscape and it, he's in his cell. And in the process of walking to the movie theater, he's encountered no one? Correct, because no one's supposed um, to go outside because it's way too dangerous, but everyone has gone yeah, except but, him. And he's even saying when he's being interviewed, oh, everything must be going bad out there. I guess I'm safer here than out there. So, I mean, and it's not like we see bodies littering the ground. The only thing so that makes it possible that this is real and good directors and writers do this is when he's first brought in, the um, orderly says it must be really going to crap out there if you guys are here. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. But what's so, the extent of that? Right. And so, odds are he's just going nuts. But there is the chance that he's a cop. Uh, normally, I detest that kind of ending. I like a definitive ending. Um, I, for example, didn't like Inception. Partially for that ending. Um... But I think the difference is in Inception, you spent the whole movie trying to say, well, he's doing this to wake up. Did he? It's like you made me sit through two and a half hours of overly complex, complicated, blah, blah, blah. Dream within a dream, blah, 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 blah. Just to tell me, oh, I'm not telling you the ending. That's, I was expecting a payoff there, Nolan. Uh, someone else can enjoy that, and that's fine. But for my money, I didn't like that. Whereas this movie, since we're talking about insanity and mental illness and perceptions based on, you know, as Thomas said, a mass hysteria, I'm okay with the two possibilities. Because we're dealing with the unhinged. So you can't, it, you know, I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie Quills about the Marquis de Sade, who was a basically a pornographer during the French Revolution. He wrote body stories of the most 
lurid kind and in the film he's in an insane he's in an asylum and they take all his writing instruments from him they take everything so that he can't write a story and so he's making up a story a pornographic story and whispering it through the walls and having it relayed by other inmates who are relaying it to someone else with a pen and paper and he said to himself i'm in a asylum telling lunatics a body story and then he laughs about how the fact that they might improve it and of course that becomes a weird story but then again look who was fed through so you know what you're getting and when you're talking about someone who's grasping with reality i'm okay with it not being definitive you know, with getting stuck in the psychosis of the moment. Yeah, I think some of the things that make um, <clears throat> make good writing is to leave you interpretation of what you want to do. I've said this before. Uh, uh, I'll admit that I was a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, and one of the best episodes they did is in season six, I think, where they show an alternate universe where where Buffy is in a mental institute because they're saying you're living this fantasy life where you think you're a vampire slayer. And she's bouncing back and forth between the two of them. And, like, she has to make a choice, and they think it's a demon making her believe this. And, you know, Joss Whedon has her choose to go back to, you know, believing she is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But after that episode wraps, the last thing he shows you is her in her cell and talking to the therapist, talking to Buffy's mom, saying, no, I think she's gone deeper into the delusion than ever. So, Joss really put it out there that everything we're seeing in that entire series is the hallucination of a mentally ill young woman. Is that the final episode? It's not the final episode. It's a random one-off episode in season six. <clears throat> so, in other words, it could be this way, but maybe not. Yeah, and I love the fact that he did that. I love the fact that the last scene he shows you is that. Well, and again, that's more tolerable because, as I said, unlike Inception, which was building up towards a payoff and then just went, the end? It's like, no, you've been teasing me with this overcomplicated crap for two hours. I want my payoff. Well, that's you. That's me. I admit, that's me. Someone else may love that, and that's fine. So. Well, I've had a really good chat, unless anyone's got a final point. I think it's time to rate this thing. I had something else to say, but I forgot it. It was going to be a Scott's Deep meaning, and it is gone because I am... I am running wait, on fumes. Wait a minute. We've had we've had deep meanings this whole conversation. So I don't think I don't think the world has been denied no. your deep meaning, Scott. I, I had I had something else and uh it's it's crazy. It's gone. It's gone. I literally had it to talk about before your second question. And I had a question <clears throat> to ask and it's gone. So you know, maybe I'll remember it one day and ask it, but it is it has slipped from my mind like the fading details of a dream. Okay, then. Uh, you're not the only one running on fumes, so. Well, in that case, let's rate this thing. How many no horror novels would you give it? And I'll start off. Ten. Um, the acting was superb. I love the effects. Uh, I had a blast with this movie from start to finish. The ending did all those wonderful thought-provoking things a film should do, and I'm a John Carpenter fan, which gave put me at an unfair bias. Ten. I'm gonna give it eight horror novels, and this is a weird eight because I can't fault this movie for anything. It it has excellent acting, the direction is well, it's very artistically done. Um it tells a story in soundtrack and visually uh, it uses setting and place very effectively. The thing about it to me is that I said I had seen this movie before, but I believe I thought John Cusack and not Sam Neill was the lead. And the scene that I remember is the car looping back and forth over and over and over again. So oh. At some point, it lost some punch. 
I remember that it was good, and I remember that it was trippy, but I don't think that the rest of it made an impact on me to, I mean, like an eight is a very good, good film. Uh, For you, yes. For me, yes. So, but I can't elevate it to a nine or a 10 because ultimately it, it didn't stay, I remembered it, but I didn't remember it enough for me to say that it's one of those movies that has to be at the very, you know, top of my echelon. Well, and you know, another thing I'd add to my rating is the tonal consistency. You know, at the end when Trent is on the bus and then he wakes up in a dream to have Sutter Kane next to him saying, did I ever tell you my favorite color was blue? And then he wakes up and sees blue everywhere. And if you notice, every close-up in that film is someone with blue eyes. And those are just clever tonal consistencies, which go for someone who cares a lot. I so. didn't even notice that, but that is amazing. And, um, but again, there, there's nothing I can take away. There's nothing negative I can say about this film. It just failed mm. to, it failed to make finish a the concept off to me, to make a memory, to lodge itself in my brain. Okay. And to be a 10 or a 9, I think something's got to do you, that. You don't honestly give many 10s. I can think of only two times you got a 10. There may be more, but two that stand out were Apollo 13 and um, Blade, Blade Runner, Runner 2049. 2049. Yeah. Um, it was good. I enjoyed it. I, I'm kind of leaning towards an eight also. I think I'm going to give it an eight. It was good. I'm just... I'm not going to put it at like it must be seen is the top of the it's a good film. Mm. I I can't say much more. (laughs) Okay. Quality, good acting, good, good, you know, idea, good concept. And it was done well. Okay. Well, uh, with that in mind, we bid farewell, a sad farewell for me at least, to Horror Month. Um, Before we bow out here, I do want to mention the next month's theme. I generally try to hold off on that just for surprise sake, but this next month, we're going to need you, sickies. Next month is Nostalgia November, and... This theme, however, we, and rather than us picking what's nostalgic for us, we want you to pick the topics. So what film or TV show, sci-fi film, can you remember fondly from when you were younger? I mean, it could be childhood, it could also be teenage years if you're an older person. But what do you remember fondly watching? Uh, what really, you know, Maybe it was Flight of the Navigator. Now, of course, one of the rules are that it can't be something we've already reviewed. So if you picked Flight of the Navigator, go back to Juvenile June and listen to our review of that. Uh, But that's what we're talking about here. So hit us up with that. If if everyone kind of chimes in the same answer, we'll do that. Otherwise, uh, we're all going to vote and see which ones we do. And hey, on top of that, if we choose to take your idea we might be asking if you'd like to join us on the show to talk about why you're so nostalgic for it so be aware of that too that's right this month is not just for us to talk about the product the the sci-fi in general in question but for you here sickies to chime in so you can hit us up at uh, our discord page to drop in the general tab what you think uh you could also just go there to hear what else has to be done what else is going on as far as the caseatorium november 2nd or 7th i forget exactly is our next ztf back on schedule which i'm looking forward to and of course hopefully we'll hear something on the case of the chills about a haunted elevator but if you can also if you don't have discord you could also hit us up with your ideas at 
www.ignoremynakedgroaninghusbandbehindthecow.com No, ravinglunaticmedia.com, ravinglunaticmedia.com, ravinglunaticmedia.com Ragemaster, what's left for them to do? Stay sick, sickies. And watch out for Happy Gilmore's grandma. She'll turn you into coleslaw. And so, another October went by. Happy Halloween, sickies. Sickies. <laughs> <laughs>